everybody. It's the Naked Songwriter Podcast. We're actually going to talk about songwriter. This is a, as well as the astrology of the current period. We got uh, Mercury transiting the sun today. It's eleven eleven. Happy eleven eleven. If you know nothing about eleven eleven. You know that it's not always happy, but it always brings changes. It's transformational. Isn't everything these days? Uh, This is DK, your host of the Naked Songwriter Podcast. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about the Taurus full moon on 11-12. That would be Tuesday morning, 8.34, I believe, Eastern Time in the morning. And around 5.30 a.m. Pacific Time. So that's coming up, um, Taurus full moon, you know, the moon is exalted in Taurus astrologically, which can be a good thing or a bad thing, but it means it's really strong. And, um, this full moon makes some really cool aspects. So it is hashtag Scorpio season. we got a lot of Mercury retrograde. we got a lot of deep stuff going on. And I will talk about that Mercury transit in a sec. And on the other hand, we've got Taurus the sign of feeling good in your neighborhood of what tastes good, what smells good, what feels good to touch on your skin, your fingers, what sounds good, what kind of music or waves or wind or laughter, birds singing, crickets, you know, you name it. Every tourist is different. But um, Taurus is a Taurus full moon, you know, is exalting the senses and it can be overwhelming, especially with all the Scorpio um, power that's going on on the other half of the Zodiac. But it's also in a really this full moon's in a really great aspect to the nodes. So our karma, our destiny to Neptune and Pisces, our visualization ability to imagine uh, the future that we want for ourselves and then also to Pluto and Capricorn. So the breakdown of this really messed up society that we live in and uh, so it can be reborn into something newer and better so um, yeah pay attention you know it's going to be a powerful full moon Um, it already is right now as I'm recording and the full moon's always trying to bring what's unconscious out into the light so it's wherever Taurus is in your chart it's trying to activate your desire energy, your sense of moving towards what feels good, what brings pleasure, what brings, you know, appropriate rewards for the work that you're putting into that life area. So um, Mercury transiting the sun today, uh, according to the New York Times, and thanks to Safia, my book of spells uh, co-author and co-host, um, for tuning me into a New York Times article that talked about that showed it actually in really cool, um, a really cool graphic presentation. But according to the times, um, this is the closest Mercury will pass to the center of the sun as viewed from earth in, um, the Mercury sun conjunction that was happening. So that, that was the exact transit this morning at 18 Scorpio 55 arc minutes. And that's a condition in astrology that's called Kazemi. So a planet that is within 17 arc minutes of the sun's placement is said to be in the heart of the sun. 
And as opposed to, um, you know, most of the Mercury retrograde period where Mercury is within 17 degrees of the sun and is under the sunbeams or, you know, often is even closer. Um, so it's said to be combust or burned up by the energy of the sun. And that's part of why Mercury retrograde periods are so challenging on the level of um, technology being fried and our brains being fried. But in contrast to that, Kazemi, when a planet's in the heart of the sun, is supposed to be this really great condition. So I did a post on Instagram and Facebook. You can check that out. Uh, but be interesting to tune in on this 11-11 portal day to what was going on between approximately 7.30 a.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern time on Monday 11-11. And, you know, I think some of the insights that are possible to the picture there is that Mercury can communicate the divine solar consciousness more clearly than at any other time during this brief window when he is in the heart of the sun. But because we're talking about Scorpio, um, you know, this deep um, soul, one of the deep soul signs of the Zodiac, I feel like, um, you know, some of that, if you didn't get your kind of flash of insight or genius uh, Monday morning, then, you know, don't despair. It could be coming at the full moon. It could come out anytime over the next few weeks as Mercury is retrograde and then goes direct earlier in Scorpio and retraces his retrograde footsteps. But it's, um, there's a lot of energy in this, um, in this whole picture with the Taurus full moon, um, with the Mercury retrograde, with this Mercury sun occultation about trust, which is a big theme for Scorpio energy and is a big theme for many of us. So this is like some real hardcore manifestation of money and um, resources kind of energy that's going on. And we're in this whole new ball game of a world where the old ways aren't working anymore. The 3D ways are obviously, you know, losing their, their effectiveness. We have to be responsive. We have to be really in the moment. You know, we're in a hanged man year with the numerology um, tarot trumps. So 2019. So we have to be responsive, and that involves a lot of trust, not trying to push the river when it's not ready to happen, but just waiting for this moment where um, opportunity is there. And um, I feel like there's a big, that, that's a big theme of both the full moon on Tuesday and the Mercury sun transit today is that it's trying to bring up from the past you know, pro probably some trauma um, based on the way this year has gone so far that um, has kept us from trusting, you know. So so um, we've been talking in Beyond Mind about how um, our ideas about God or the universe or whatever the big authority is in, in this dimension, how they're informed by our experience of our parents and our teachers and our other elders in childhood, you know. So if you couldn't trust your parents, and most of us couldn't, how are you going to trust God, right? And we may consciously think we do, but our actions often show us, you know, the opposite. So this is an opportunity with, uh, in all of this um, Scorpio season and the Mercury retrograde, I feel like it's an opportunity to gain abundance or prosperity by letting go of what's blocking that. And really, that's kind of the core of 5D manifestation or of, 
you know, any, if you go back to Napoleon Hill or the science of, of getting rich or any of that stuff, it's all about letting go of the limiting beliefs and the trauma that, that blocks us from just flowing with the energy of life, which is, you know, inherently so abundant, right? So I want to talk to you about somebody that if I mention his name, some people are going to instantly be like, ugh. And some people will probably be like, yeah, right on. And some people will be like, eh, I don't know, I don't know. So, uh, very, you know, definitely a divisive figure. But um, when I lived in New Orleans, um, after, before and after Katrina, but after Katrina, there was a grocery store that opened up in the neighborhood called Mardi Gras Zone. And Mardi Gras Zone used to be, a, um, I think, a, a kind of factory warehouse type place where they manufactured and sold Mardi Gras type stuff. But the, we didn't have a grocery, uh, grocery store in the Maroney Bywater area after Katrina. And there was a need and the enterprising owners of Mardi Gras Zone saw an opportunity to fulfill this need. So they cleared out some space in the downstairs of the warehouse and set up these big fans like that you use for uh, flood remediation. No air conditioning in the beginning. And a couple coolers that, you know, kind of worked sporadically to keep, uh, like, some, you know, frozen vegetables and um, ice cream and stuff like that in there. And I, I called it the world's weirdest grocery store. It was just so bizarre. But um, they had uh, Ben and Jerry's uh, Cherry Garcia, my favorite ice cream of all time. And sometimes when I needed a little soul food, um, I'd go down there and get some get a pint of Cherry Garcia. And there's this guy who worked the cash register, Bill, this old hippie. And just one of those guys, like, I don't know how to describe him exactly, you know, had long hair, ponytail. I mean, he's probably about my age now. But, you know, one of those guys that looks like he's been around the world a couple of times and a um, little wear and tear, but just always kind. And I always feel like those people are sort of these angels, the people that work in grocery stores and gas stations and restaurants and, and um, you know, have a lot of people that come in and are just rude and are really assholes. And the people who stay kind, I just feel like that's such an act of service in the world. So Bill was one of those guys. And I honestly, I, I bought quite a few pints of Jerry Garcia at Mardi Gras Zone um, in the, over the period of about a year or so. I don't know if Bill remembered me. You know, I don't know if he recognized me, you know, from one time to the next. But every time I would go up and put the thing on the counter, the pint of ice cream, he'd look at it, look up at me and say, greatest guitar player of all time. <laughs> every single time. So um, I'm inclined to, well, I don't want to get into a greatest of all time discussion because that makes no sense. But I've been thinking a lot about Jerry lately. And specifically in the context of that, I feel so much is changing right now. And we're moving in the post 2012 world. Another click on this was the Regulus eclipse in the summer of um, 2017, the one that was visible in Oregon, total solar eclipse. Um, that was another turning point but we're moving into a new relationship with time and if we think of time as the fourth dimension 
whatever the fifth dimension is, it's going through our concepts of psychological linear time and moving into the space of eternity, which as the great uh, traditional astrologer John Frawley points out, is not a very long time, but is the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's the experience of being in the present moment, of being beyond psychological time, beyond clock time. So I firmly believe that the way we save the world, the way we change the world, the way we make things better for everybody is by becoming artists of our lives, by being creative, by expressing ourselves, by moving, withdrawing our energy from the patriarchal consumerist, you know, military, industrial, pharmaceutical complex this really just rotten, corrupt, oppressive society. All right, I'm just going to say it. Veterans Day, you know, um, may those men and women who have gone in good faith to protect what is good be blessed for their efforts. And also, the U.S. military, you know, is like, it's such a racket, right? Who, who goes into the military nowadays? And maybe for a long time. I mean, definitely since my dad, who was in the, in the, uh, who was in the Navy and Navy submarine, I know I've told this story before, but you know, he once told me, well, I tell you, son, I think the reason I was so good in the submarine service is I'm real good at repressing my anger, you know? So my dad ran away from his abusive dad who was a world war II vet and, you know, came home, no therapy, um, he was a teetotaling uh, Baptist, I believe, and took his frustrations out on his kids, you know, beat my dad. And so my dad went into the Navy to get, you know, my dad, they, my grandparents were dirt poor. I mean, literally, my dad grew up on a sharecropper's farm in the South. And so the Navy was his way out, you know, and I think it's so much still the case that that young people, you know, who don't come from money, who don't have a lot of resources are the people who go into the military, you know, seeking a better life. And there's nothing wrong with that for them. Right. But then, you know, when there is a war, when they, when they do um, get injured and messed up, what do we do with our veterans? I mean, the way we treat our veterans is so disgraceful. It's just, don't get me, don't get me started on that. Just look up how many veterans commit suicide every day. It's very sobering. So when I when I see people going on and on about Veterans Day, I'm like, if you care about the military, show it. You know, go out there and support some vets. Go do some volunteering. Otherwise, I kind of don't want to hear about that shit, man. Because basically, we are a corrupt, evil empire. You know, and there's if you look at the objective, what we do in the world, and I'm not just talking about our government or military. I'm talking about the corporations that, you know, kind of run this country. So we need to find a better way, right? And I think we, everybody knows that intuitively. How we do that is by creating, by loving, by replacing the values of consumerism and, you know, work as hard as you can for the man until you get cancer or whatever disease and end up in the medical system, which is all for profit, right? And you're just enriching, you know, you're just a battery in the matrix if you're playing along with this game. So Jerry Garcia, um, the guitar, guitarist for the Grateful Dead, um, if you didn't know that. So Jerry, um, 
he lost the middle finger on his right hand um, in a wood chopping accident with his older brother when he was four. Later that year, when he, I think he was five, later that year, his dad drowned while they were on a family camping trip. So he's five, year old, five years old, he's just lost one of his fingers, he's lost his dad, has to go live with his grandparents for five years, and you know lives in kind of some rough areas of San Francisco. There's a, here's a guy who had every reason to just be like, wow, life totally sucks. You know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pack it in. I'm gonna become a miscreant or just whatever. And became one of the greatest guitar players of all time and one of the most important cultural figures, I believe, of the last hundred years. I mean, somebody who had such a revolutionary vision. So I fell in love with Jerry Garcia because of his singing and his guitar playing. Um, but I watched the Long Strange Trip documentary that just came out on Amazon a couple of years ago. And I was really struck by how fully informed his philosophy was, even from a young age. He didn't want to make records. He wasn't interested in that. He didn't want to make monuments or statues. He wanted to be in the moment. And so much of his philosophy was about life should be fun. You know, uh, he talks about how it was really obvious to at least people in California in at the beginning of the 60s that they needed a new reality. You know, that the reality that was in place at that point wasn't challenging enough. Um, you know, it didn't require enough of humans and it didn't give enough back. You know, it wasn't fun. And through the Grateful Dead, this band that really included the audience in their songwriting, in their playing, and in the kind of the whole experience of creating a dead show. So really just by staying true to his vision of what a musical experience could be and finding the right people who were willing to take that risk and, and create that, you know, the dead were able to model this new kind of way of being in the world. So here's Jerry in his own words from The Long Strange Trip. What we're thinking about is a peaceful planet. We're not thinking about anything else. We're not thinking about any kind of power. We're not thinking about any of those kind of struggles. We're not thinking about revolution or war or any of that. That's not what we want. Nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to hurt anybody. We would all like to be able to live an uncluttered life. A simple life, a good life, you know, and like think about moving the whole human race ahead a step. And how do you do that? You do that by getting together with your friends and playing music, right? Or whatever it is for you getting together with your friends. But it's like there's been so much pressure um, or um, propaganda, really, in the media for 50, however long it's been, 50, 60 years, 50 years. Um, that the 60s was a failure, you know, that it, that all these utopian idealist hippies who couldn't control themselves and did lots of drugs. And of course, there's going to be that kind of energy in any super experimental, um, you know, setup, right? But that it was a failure. And therefore, you know, the subtext goes, the ideas themselves were failures, like we shouldn't even try to live in love and harmony. We shouldn't try to respect all people and all creatures because that's just basically a crack of shit. You know, and you look at the Republican Party, which has lost, I mean, really just lost any any credibility. I mean, it ha, you know, it's like it sold its soul. It has no heart. The evangelicals, you know, who are just like just spouting hatred and, and aggression, right? Nothing to do with 
the teachings of Jesus. And it's like so obvious we need to, or we have the opportunity to model a new world and to change things. So, um, you know, I just happened to uh, be lucky enough to see a couple of great dead shows before Jerry died. And uh, maybe I'll tell you about one of those. But first, I want to uh, do a little uh, Grateful Dead song. So Jerry Garcia and Robert Hunter wrote the lyrics. And I know a lot of people have just been like me. I mean, in the last couple of weeks, just so much stuff coming up from the past. So much shame and hurt and like really deep childhood infant stage um, abandonment stuff coming up to be released and to be healed. And it's crazy out there. I know a lot of people are feeling it. So this song is, um, you know, I think it's a song about I'm, I'm done with everything. And those were Jerry's, to me, those were Jerry's best songs, um, both for vocals and guitar playing. The sad songs about the, the losing gambler, you know, the, the guy at the end of his rope. Um, he just really was able to just put so much feeling into it. So I wanted to do a little version of uh, Broke Down Palace for you, and I'm going to play that, and then we'll be back with a little bit more. Thank you. 
listen to the naked songwriter i'm gonna keep this one short and sweet the uh first grateful dead show i ever went to was at rfk stadium in washington dc and um there was just incredible rain that happened throughout the first half of the show it turned the whole uh football field into a sea of mud and uh, somebody had given me some acid and I didn't know hardly any of the songs, you know, and so I'm taking the the Metro with my buddy uh, who introduced me to the dead. And really the only thing I'd heard up until that point was um, Skeletons in the Closet, you know, so the greatest hits from way long ago, greatest hits in all studio versions. So no sense of, you know, what the show would really be like. And I went through the, you know, the typical um, acid, you know, it's like, freaking out, flipping out. I mean, and you know, I'm such an, a sensitive and an empath being in a stadium with 80,000 people, um, is not an easy place for me, but, um, you know, as I, as I sort of like got my rhythm with it. And I think part of what was really helpful was just watching these people, um, you know, thousands of people just dancing in the mud. So you had the spinner girls that, you know, wear the dresses and they're just brown from head to toe and they're spinning around and in the mud. And, um, and uh, you know, it would have been nice probably if I knew some of the songs because there would have been a little bit more to hold on to. But the dead always played covers, um, you know, so every once in a while I'd catch something that I knew or something from, from the early days um, that was on the Greatest Hits album. And then... I want to say it was right in the middle of drums space, you know, so the big um, improvisational, like, which, which on acid for the first time was really scary. I mean, I was just like very shamanic, you know, plunging. And in fact, the whole show, the whole, whole way that the dead shows were set up was to take you on a journey, take you on a trip, but you, it could be your own trip, you know, as much as that can be in this collective mind of, um, you know, 70 or 80,000 people. So, um, you know, going into this kind of dark place in my psyche, um, sitting up in the bleachers somewhere at RFK. And then the rain finally stops and the sun actually comes out as the sun setting. And there's just this collective euphoric roar from the crowd as they realize what's happening because this was driving torrential rain. 
And then, you know, the band gets super energized for the last set. And I just remember like walking out of there on cloud 49, you know, just like what just happened and just in love with everybody and just feeling all this love. And I know not every dead show is like that, you know, and, um, but I love that that's so much in tune with Jerry Garcia's philosophy is let's respond to the moment, you know, we're going to do our best, but some nights aren't going to be that great. Right. But it doesn't matter because this is what we do. And it's a collaboration. It's not just the band playing to the people. It's we're all in this together. And he really had that, you know, I think, I feel like he really believed that at the core of his being. So it's really no exaggeration to say that that show absolutely changed my life and in ways that I wouldn't even be conscious of until 20, 30 years later, you know, so I still listen to the dead. Um, my brother and I will sometimes find a, a track, you know, cause it's a lot of it's on Spotify, a lot of the things that we used to trade tapes for, and we'll find a track of one of our favorite songs and share it with each other, talk about it. But, um, I remember you know, so one thing that happened fairly recently is I was driving back from New Orleans a few years ago and I was really kind of trying to tune into, you know, what's the, I've got all this music. I don't know how to get it out there. I'm not really sure what I'm doing with it. And I had just uh, read this. So not long before that, I'd been looking up something about Jerry and I had found this um, Rolling Stone article online ranking the 50 greatest Grateful Dead songs of all time, which, you know, those rankings are crazy, right? But, and I disagreed with a lot of them, of course. But one of the things that the um, author pointed out in the intro to the article was that the Dead were really smart in the sense that they didn't just play their own songs. They played, you know, at least as many um, cover songs, popular, you know, music that people would recognize as their own songs. And the writer pointed out how hard it is to write one great song, let alone make a great record. You know, something the dead arguably failed to ever do in the studio. And, you know, he said, it's this genius that like, why not pick the cherry pick the songs that you really like that are really great songs and play those. And there was something about that, that at that moment, as I'm in Alabama driving back from new Orleans to Atlanta, it just suddenly gave me permission to, oh, I like playing other people's songs. And rather than, you know, back when I was um, touring with my band um, in, in the 90s and then doing my solo guitar thing, you know, I felt like I had to get people to like my songs, which of course is still the goal if you write songs, right? But, you know, the dead had this great thing of like, hey, we're going to play a bunch of songs you like, and then we're going to put out, you know, a couple of our songs in there. And maybe you'll like those too, because you already have some familiarity. You're not coming in stone cold to like 10 songs you'd never heard of. So there was this huge sense of permission that opened up of like, hey, I should just play whatever I want, play whatever I feel like, which is sort of what I've been doing on these podcasts. So um, all that to say, you know, this is, we're moving into, in Taurus full moon, um, Jerry Garcia was a Leo. So his, um, in his solar chart, Taurus would be the mid heaven. Um, you know, who he is as a public person, his life's work, his legacy. And, um, you know, I feel like his vision really expressed the, um, beauty of Taurus, which is have a great experience that feeds your senses move toward what makes you feel good. You know, we don't know how long we're here and this planet is still a garden paradise. 
and we can make it back into the paradise that it wants to be as the earth is now ascending in her evolutionary journey as well. But we can't do that. We're the neural network, you know, we're the sensory organs of Mother Earth. We're the we're sort of the the um interface between her and the cosmos, right? And so if we're not having fun, if we're not enjoying ourselves, then how can Mother Earth have fun and enjoy herself and reach her evolutionary potential? So um, you know, look at the, use this full moon, use this energy that's going on. I hope you can use this to let go of some of the real negative programming and beliefs that we all got as part of the price of admission for coming here and, and really reach for the trust that, um, in the, uh, the, uh, Chandra Omega symbols for the degree of the sun mercury occultation today on 1111, John Sandback writes about, um, a rope ascending up into the sky and how in order to climb a rope that we can't see where it ends up in the sky, you know, it requires a lot of trust. And some of us are going to trust and just start climbing the rope. And then others of us are going to circle around the rope, you know, saying, I'm not climbing that. I can't trust that. But we're going to be really preoccupied on some level with, I want to climb that. I want to go up there. So here's an invitation to just let yourself go up there. Let yourself go into your joy. Let yourself do, you know, what feels good, what you love. Consciously intend to bring more of that juicy, positive energy into your life because that is the way we create prosperity for ourselves and for the planet moving forward. All right, I'm out for now. I'll be back in a couple weeks at the new moon. Until then, this is your buddy DK saying, May you enjoy yourself, and may you go with the stars. Listen to the river sing sweet songs.